ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Like I said, we're going to be, what we're going to be doing is a little different than uh, we usually do. Usually Sunday mornings is Sunday morning and then I do something on Sunday afternoon. But what I'm going to do through the month or through the, the book of 1 Peter is we're going to do Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons. Um, and if you have a, um, a Bible like mine, which is ESV, if you have an ESV and you have the little cheat sheets, you know, in the chapters where it says this is what this chapter is about, you know, um, you, can, you can use those because those are the topics for the sermons. Uh, the little, you know, explanations about what the paragraph is. Um, so today we're going to do 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 and following. 1 Peter 1, 13. It's interesting to me that, that for, for whatever reason, Christianity, and, and I understand where, where God is coming from. I understand why he built the faith like this, but Christianity is, is, is building blocks. It's not just, boom, all of a sudden you're a Christian and that's it. That's it, 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 you build on itself. The, the faith is not meant to be just a check a box and done or meet some qualification and then you're, you're that and there's no way you can, you can move up. There's no way that you can fall and so forth. It's built as, as a continuous path. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's why you have imagery in the New Testament about how you're walking the path or how you're running the race or how you're, um, uh, Matthew chapter 7, he, he talks about the, the two different ways, the two different paths, the, the narrow way and the broad way. It's, it's a continuous path. And a lot of times we think that, that the, the success of a good old Christian life is a straight line from baptism to judgment day. The straight line, you never fail, you never stumble, you never waver. It's just a straight line. Well, that's, that's just not true. We never see a person doing that. And really, it's impossible to do that. There's only been one person to live without sin. And that's because he knew everything. I mean, the, the reason why Jesus did not sin wasn't because he couldn't sin. He could have. That's the point of his temptations. The reason he never sinned is because he knew what sin was, he knew where it was, he knew what the consequences were, and he could see it before it happened. That's the benefit of, it's the benefit of being God, that he, he knew everything, and he could see what was going to happen before it ever happened. He could look into the hearts of men and understand what they were going to do, and how they felt about certain things, and so forth. But Christianity's, for the most of, for, for the majority of us, save one person, Jesus Christ, it's not like that. It's a, it's a constant path that we're walking down and growing in. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This whole section, verse 13, starts with a single word, therefore. It's the building blocks of Christianity. Now that you know, chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, now that you know that your grief is here for a purpose, and that you're, you're able to use that grief, you're able to use those trials to bring about a better, stronger faith that will last the test of time, that will be immortal and unperishing, and that will be undefiled and, and non-fading, what we talked about this morning. Now that you know that, and you have this hope, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, as some translations say. I like that translation. Gird up the loins of your mind. The word therefore is that building block idea that you as a Christian now, now that you have the hope, now that you're a Christian, if you're facing this hard time for whatever reason, now that you know that, here's something else to add to that. It's, it's similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2 where Paul says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. Well, Paul did not bring the Corinthian church to its maturity. It wasn't the point. He did that with one church. Remember, he was in Ephesus for three years. He built Ephesus into a strong, mature church. But in Corinth, it wasn't the same. Paul didn't spend three years in Corinth. He spent a relatively short amount of time where he planted the seeds, where he converted people, taught people the gospel, and then he left. And you'll remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says that I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. That's, that's what he did. That, that's the purpose. And so he says, I fed you with milk. I didn't, I didn't feed you with solid food yet, with meat. You weren't ready for it. What you were ready for was the, the elementary principles of the faith, Hebrews chapter 6. Now that we know these things, let's not spend time on the elementary practices of faith. Does that mean that Christians shouldn't study the importance of baptism? Absolutely not. Does that mean that Christians shouldn't study the importance of repentance? No, I think, it's my personal opinion here, but I think Christians need to study the idea of repentance even more so after they become a Christian than before they become a Christian. What he's saying is, now that we've now that we've gotten past that, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to learn. And that's what Peter's doing. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and on the day of eternity. Amen. This idea of growth. 2 Peter 1, 5. For the, this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue knowledge and with knowledge self-control and with self-control patience and with patience brotherly kindness and with brotherly kindness love. Build on your faith, as some translations say. Add to your faith, so forth. And so this section that we're going over this afternoon, you've, you've got to have the hope first. This really is for Christians. That's why I, one reason why I chose to do it on a Sunday afternoon, because this section, specifically verse 13, is for us. 
Now, I know the whole book is, but this section specifically. It's for those that, that have been through trials, that have been through grief, that have lost loved ones, that have been questioning their faith in the past, and they've made it past that point of questioning their faith. This section is based on everything that happened before it. So, he says, therefore, and it's just interesting to me that that's how God built the church. It's not, it, it's, a, it's a continuous thing. You know, the, the beauty of the church is that age doesn't really matter. I've met 20-year-olds that are more mature in their faith than any Christian of 50 years, 60 years that I've ever met in my entire life. I've met elderly men and women in their 90s that are beyond mature. I mean, we know some of those. But age has nothing to do with it. You know, the interesting thing is in, in Titus, Paul says that he left Titus in Crete to, fill, to fulfill the things that were lacking. And that is, he left the preacher there to, to make sure that they put in elders, that they, that they had an eldership at every church in Crete. How long were the churches in Crete there for? How long did it take them to get... I mean, an, an elder is a mature man, right? How long did it take them to get mature men? You see, time doesn't matter. It's maturity level. Therefore, doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, we're, we're supposed to meet our maturity level where we should be. And that, that's subjective, and I know. That's, that's a good thing, that it's subjective. If it were objective, then we would put it off until the last minute. I mean, if y'all are like me, you, y'all know me, Okay. If there's a timeline on something, you're getting it, you know, the day of the timeline. But he didn't put timelines on things. He said, therefore, then he says, gird up your loins, verse 13, or preparing your minds for action, some translations say. I like the, the idea of girding up your loins because that's really what the text says. In fact, every text says it regardless of your translation style. If you have King James or New King James or Christian Standard or ESV or New American Standard, regardless of what translation you use, all of the texts that they're getting those translations from say the same thing. Something to the effect of, gird up your loins. The problem is, raise your hand if you've used the phrase, gird up your loins in the last week. No. In fact, to us, it seems almost scandalous, right? It sounds scandalous. But what it means is, see... What they would do, and, and, and you probably understand this, but what they would do is they would wear long robes. Even the men would wear things that we, today we would most likely call a dress. They wore long robes. Ladies, I, I don't know this, okay? I, I don't make a habit of wearing long dresses. Um, but I have a feeling that if you're going to take off running in a long dress, it's not going to work out so well right? You gird up your loins. That's what it means. You take the bottom part and you pull it up. And you, you hold it up like you might see some old movie or some TV show of a person supposed to be in the Civil War and they're going to take off running through the rain and they take their big old petticoat and they kind of lift it up so it doesn't, you know, and they wore the petticoats that are the size of a monster truck tire and they're running like... That's what it means to gird up your loins. Gather it up. And so men 
would gather up their, their tunics, for, instead of using dress, they would gather up their tunics, they would gather up their clothes, and they would hold it up here, and sometimes they would even have a belt that they would hold it up with so that they were, or when they were about to go to war. Because you don't want to have all of that down around your ankles when you're trying to fight. Or when you're about to start working in the fields, you would gird up your loins. Ladies would do it when they're about to start cooking or cleaning the house. Or even when they're about to start serving guests. It was, for ladies, it was more of a sign type thing. More of a significance in that way than, than actually a tactical thing like men uh, going into battle. But they would gird up their loins, men and women. And so he says, gird up the mind. Get your mind ready for action. That's why the translations say that. Get your mind ready for action. Christianity is all about mental things. 100% mental. It is. It's 100% mental. We'll talk about the physical in just a minute. But Christianity is 100% mental. It says, gird up your mind. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. Proverbs 31, in fact, verse 17 talks about a woman girding up her loins. She dresses herself with strength. The word dresses herself with strength there, the the phrase, they would call that girding up your loins. So get your minds ready for action. Christianity is all about the mind. Remember, put yourselves in the situation of these, these Christians. They're about to go through grief. Get your mind ready for the questions before they ever come. What happens when... What happens... All right, let's set a... Let's set a high... That word that starts with a high that I can't think of the name of it. Let's set up one of these things that may not happen. Okay? Um, You're a Christian. You've never been through any trial in your faith. You've never questioned your faith at all. And so you really, haven't really, you really haven't studied the questions. You haven't looked into why you believe in God, why you believe the scriptures, why you do this, why you do this. It's just been kind of that's what you've always done. And then some sort of grief happens, some sort of trial happens, and you start questioning for whatever reason. Why did, my, uh, why did God take them away from me? Why did I lose my job? Why did God take my job away from me? Why did... Why, Why did God make a world that looks so old, even though it's not? All these questions, okay? So you've never studied these things, and now you're in the middle of them. And the Christians around you are not there to help, for whatever reason. Either by their shortcoming, or by your withdrawal from them. One of the worst things you can ever do is, when you're questioning your faith, stay away from the church. Don't ever do that. You withdraw yourselves, and and Christians can't help. But for whatever reason, the Christians aren't there around you either from their own shortcoming or your withdrawal. You have no hope. There's no way you're going to get out of this. You haven't studied. You're in the middle of the trial or of the temptation or of the sin or something like that. No Christians are around you for one, or, one reason or another. You're not going to think, I need to look to the Bible for my answers. It's not going to happen. It's just not. So he says, gird up your loins. Get your mind ready right now so that when this happens, you'll be okay. 
Then he goes on and says, be sober-minded. Gird up your loins, get your minds ready for action, verse 13, and be sober-minded. We talk about sober as physical sobriety, that you don't use things that alter your mind um, in a negative way. You don't, you don't use things that make you a different person. You don't use drugs. You don't use alcohol. You don't use this or that or so forth. But what he's saying is not being sober, but being sober-minded. Y'all ever heard the phrase, drunk on love? Ever heard that? We always say, um, when Becca and I got married, we were living on love and macaroni and cheese. Because that's about all we had. Um, drunk on love. But you can be drunk on grief, too. Be sober-minded. Focus. Keep your mind where you are. Don't allow yourself to start thinking things that, that are harmful to you. So forth. Then he says, set your hope fully. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus is when he comes back for the judgment day. So what, Paul's, what Peter just said is, get your minds ready before it ever happens. Gird up your loins. Be sober-minded. Don't allow your mind to go into places that, they doesn't, that it doesn't need to go into because it will, it will change who you are. Number three, start looking for the judgment day. I watched this, I watched this video this past week of a person saying, essentially, that religion is just a coping mechanism. We have death, and we're not here for very long. The Bible says roughly 70 years because of medical advancements. We've increased that a little bit, but not much. So we're here for a very short amount of time. And this person said, religion is just a coping mechanism. All it does is it makes it to where this world is, is not everything. And so then you'll be okay. If you don't do anything in your life, it's okay because I've, because I've, I've lived a good life, good enough to where I can have eternal life. And he was kind of poking at religion and making jest of religion. But that person's not a psychiatrist. Did you know that people who are religious, people who focus on their scriptures, whatever their scriptures are, regardless of what the, 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 the belief is, people who have a belief past this life, are happier, are healthier, do better socioeconomically. Statistically, why? Why? Because God has created us for that. God has built mankind to look for something later. And Peter's just emphasizing that. And we understand, in order to have the true fullness of life, it has to be based in the scripture. But Peter's emphasizing that we were built to look for something else. We were built to, to know that this is not everything, that we have to move on. And so he says, I want you to gird up your loins. I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to set your hope fully on the hope, on the inheritance, on the, the immortality that will come at the revelation or when we see Jesus. When Jesus comes back, I want you to focus on that because... Verse 14, as being obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who, is holy, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. 
since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ, like a lamb without spot, without spot or blemish. So he says, I want you to get your minds ready, and here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on being holy like God is holy. I want you to focus on being like God. Not, not being God, being like God. Set your mind on knowing that you don't have to be conformed. You don't have to be tied down to the same way it's always been. There are a lot of people that are in the situation they are because their parents were there. Religiously, socioeconomically, um, legally. Yesterday we went to training and we saw that the vast majority of children in foster care um, are unemployed when they turn 18. That they don't go to college. That they're at risk of being victimized in, in other ways. Why? Because they grew up like that. We don't have to be like everyone else. We don't have to be like the people behind us. And that's not just talking about that situation, but, but in general, we don't have to be like everyone else. Peter says, I want you to get your mind ready to know that you don't have to be like everyone else. You have been called. What, is it, what does it mean to be called? Some people will ask a preacher, Why, when did you receive your calling? And I received my calling when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes in and baptized will be saved. That's when I received my calling. And that's when you received your calling. When did you receive your calling to be holy? When you said, okay, I need to be baptized for the remission of my sins. That's when you received your calling. When God calls someone to do something, when he calls, when he calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, what happens when Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh? Okay, Jonah, you're going to spend three days in the belly of a great fish, and then we'll talk about it. What happens if Jonah gets out of the great fish and then doesn't go to Nineveh? I bet it's not going to be so nice as the great fish the second time. When you get called by God, you don't have a choice. Peter says you've been called to be holy. You don't have a choice anymore. Because uh, what, I, what, I told, what I tell people when they become a Christian, when they're baptized, especially if I study with someone, one time I, I even here a few months ago, I studied with someone and, uh, and we got done with the whole study and I said, listen, I just want you to know, I want you to know something person said, okay, what? And I said, I, I just want you to know what, what I just did to you. And they said, what? And I, I said, I, because they knew what they needed to do, but they, they weren't ready to be baptized yet for one reason or another. And I said, it just made it really hard for you. They kind of looked at me. And I said, no, seriously, like, see, what I just did is I taught you the truth. And I didn't say this, but now you've been called to be holy. And if you don't, it's going to be worse for you than if I had never said something to begin with. You see, that's the interesting thing about evangelism. Is essentially, what he says is, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Not everyone's going to believe. Not everyone's going to obey. But you still need to preach it to them. You still need to teach them about it. 
And those that don't, it'll be worse for them than if they had never heard it. Why? Because like the rich man, they're going to know that they had the chance. You see, we've been called to be holy. That means we have to be holy. We don't have another choice. If by choosing to not be holy, by choosing to not follow Christ, for whatever reason, we choose worse than the beginning. If you need to become a Christian or need to be repenting of sins this afternoon, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know why we do that.